This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's day one for legalized cannabis in Canada. How you get access to it and the price you pay depends on where you live. Here in Ontario, the only way to get it for now is online. The price ranges from $8 a gram and goes up from there depending on the strain. A recent McMaster University study suggested that the sweet spot for consumers, the price where they'd buy legal weed instead of turning to the black market, was $10 to $12 a gram. We want to hear from you. Will you start taking marijuana or... Or switch to the government pot because it's legal. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. But right now, let's check in with Finance Minister Vic Fideli. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Libby. Okay, well... How is it going so far? Well, it's a very, very robust day. I think uh, everybody's been performing very, very well. The Ontario uh, Cannabis uh, Store is uh, just continuing to fulfill orders absolutely nonstop. And uh, this is, just think about it for a second, this is a really historic day. Uh, I just finished reading Whiskey King, the story of the ending of Prohibition. Okay, yes. And, uh, you know, really, there's a few comparisons to be made here. It's uh, really one of those historic uh, days. Uh, in, in this case, it happens to be about cannabis. Do you have any sense how many people have uh, clicked on the website and ordered pot? Well, the Premier during a question period today mentioned about 38,000 people at that time. Uh, and uh, that was uh, around uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And uh, uh, I suspect that it's, uh, that it's uh, quite a bit higher than that. And so uh, uh, this is, uh, this is, we'll have more to say on that once we actually get the statistics from the Ontario Cannabis Store. Do you have any concerns that people will not start getting uh, the legal cannabis online because it's a little harder and takes a little longer to get access to it uh, as opposed to walking down the street? Well, they won't be able to walk down the street, quite frankly. And and here's what happens today. Uh, The rules regarding uh, the illegal dispensaries are all out the window today, and new rules take effect uh, and each uh, uh, the police can now go into these dispensaries and lay down a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine to the owners, uh, and it's the municipality that keeps that revenue. So now it's uh, uh, the the municipality should be uh, uh, involved in this uh, uh, crackdown of the illegal dispensaries, and in fact. The landlord of the building can be charged up to $250,000 as well. And if it's a corporation, it's a million-dollar fine. So there are now incentives in place as of today for the, uh, uh, should the law pass, uh, for the um, 
uh, municipalities now to be involved in in this uh, uh, crackdown and a, and a revenue uh, uh, tool for them as well. Uh- yeah. Now, uh, we've heard at least from uh, Police Chief Mark Saunders here in Toronto, he's saying, yes, the police will be enforcing it, but not all at once. Not going to happen that fast. They don't have the manpower for it. Well, this is some uh, direction that uh, they'll continue to take on themselves. We absolutely respect the police and their role in, in all of this. And uh, they certainly now know that uh, there are financial uh, rewards now for the municipality for the crackdown. Um, Another incentive, if you will, uh, anybody who is operating an illegal dispensary today can never, ever get a license to sell marijuana legally in Ontario. So what we've said to them, shut down. You should be shut down by now. Okay, well, we actually saw Jody Emery shut down. Um, let me ask you this. This is a concern that I have been hearing about that is quite widespread. There, there are people who are afraid to access LegalPod on the government website because they say, what is going to happen to that information? Who is going to have access to that information? Is there any way that people will hack into it or the Americans might get access to it and I might be denied entry from the United, to the United States? Uh, when you go on the website, you will see, first of all, there's a triple age check. So you need to be uh, 19 and over in order to uh, purchase cannabis uh, in Ontario. Uh, by the way, we, we went on and, and we lied about our ages, but not to make ourselves older. Yeah. No, that's fine. But you cannot accept delivery. Right. Uh, the the, the uh, uh, delivery service will not t- deliver to anyone who uh, does not have a valid ID of 19 years of age and older. Okay. So that's plain and simple. They, can't, they don't leave a package anywhere, and somebody has to sign for it, and only with valid ID proving that they are 19 uh, of age and over. Okay. So when you went on and lied about your age, <laughs> we, uh, we didn't actually buy anything. No, that's okay. But <laughs> so, so you you appreciate that at the end of the road, yeah, only somebody with a valid uh, age uh, appropriate ID will ha- will be able to receive a package in their hand. So but isn't when you that... go on, you would have seen the note right at the beginning that says this information is not stored. It's not kept. Uh, it's not like when you go and you set up an account, you have to refile and restart every single time you go on so that none of that information is kept by the government or anybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, so, so you're guaranteeing that there's no way uh, that the, this information can get anywhere else? Well, the information is not stored, yep. so it's used uh, for the uh, uh, acceptance of an order and for the shipping. It's not kept. Uh, and uh, the the uh, you have to go back and, and refile every time. We have an incredibly robust system. It's with the most modern software available today, and uh, that's what we would continue to do, and that's the work that we expect from our Ontario Cannabis Store. How long uh, do you figure it will take to fulfill those orders, and if you're requiring that the person who ordered it is there with, with ID, um, what happens yep. if the person's not home or not wherever? So it, it will be delivered in one to three days, and uh, if you're not there to accept it, or if someone's not there of 19 and over to accept it, uh, there'll be a card in the mail, and you go to your nearest post office where that card uh, indicates 
Mm-hmm. And you'll have to show the same ID. Yes. And uh, what if there's a postal strike? We've heard that there uh, might be a postal strike next week. Well, first, we hope that uh, the uh, federal government uh, and the uh, postal uh, workers uh, continue and and come to a successful completion. However, we have uh, Plan B in place, and we're ready to uh, deliver should that event occur. Mm -hmm. Do you have any sense of how much revenue will flow to the province from this? It's never been about revenue to the province. This is not like alcohol and tobacco, every budget we're going to raise it, uh, that type of thing. We start in the $7.35 range, that's the, that's the uh, cheapest product, and this has never, ever been about uh, revenue. This is always, A, putting the safety of our children first, the safety of our roads, and curbing the illegal market. That's what this is all about. It's not about a revenue plan. Right, but there will be revenue. Uh, This is not about the revenue. This is not about a revenue play. All the information we have to date is based on illegal activity. So we're extrapolating numbers only from uh, uh, illegal sources. So we're, you know, who who can be absolutely certain that the uh, uh, illegals are reporting their income properly? Well, uh, <laughs> so we're Bill- basing a lot on, on uh, illegal numbers, but we'll know more. Uh, every day will grow. Again, you know, prohibition has been 100 years now, uh, and this is day one. So we're, we'll be learning and uh, uh, changing our forecasts every single day. Something will, will grow. Well, Bill Blair says that the illegal market is $8 billion, and he'll be happy with half of that. So just extrapolating from, from that, how much could Ontario see? Well, again, for us, it's not about the revenue. It's about safety of our children, safety of our roads, and curbing the illegal uh, businesses. Okay. Finance Minister uh, Fideli, anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, no, we appreciate the fact that you've uh, expressed an interest in this. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much for being with uh, us. Actually, there is one thought. Okay. Again, to those who are in the business illegally, close down your shop and close down your shop today. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Finance Minister Vic Fideli. Okay. And now uh, we are going to Ari Goldkind, criminal lawyer, to explore some aspects of this. Hi, Ari. How are you? Hi, Libby. I think it's interesting that the, the finance manager just said close down now or else, and here you have a criminal defense lawyer popping on the line 30 seconds after that. What an interesting chain. Okay, well, uh, yeah, you heard. Uh, did you hear him list all, all, the, new, um, uh, all the new fines uh, and penalties for having an illegal dispensary open? I didn't hear that because I just uh, okay, joined well, a minute so or so ago, but I do think he, that there's some interesting stuff there. He said that uh, you can get fined up to a, a quarter of a million dollars. The landlord can get fined up to a quarter of a million dollars, and that money will flow to the municipality. Uh, so that's an incentive for enforcement, apparently. Yeah, and I did like what he said. It's not about the money, and I do accept that as a notion. But last time I checked in government, it's always about the Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, so, Ari, um, let's get on to this question of a pardon. So we sure. just heard that uh, the government will put in place legislation 
for pardons for people who have convictions for simple possession. I was trying to find out a number, how many people have those convictions. I, I couldn't find one. Apparently, it's hundreds of thousands. Do you have any sense of that? I can tell you that the numbers are mixed, but you are absolutely right. It's in the hundreds of thousands. It's believed even going back to 2013, there were roughly 20,000 people that year who were pinched for this. And whether the numbers in the tens of thousands, Libby, or 100,000 or more, to me, this is a I'll tell you, I've been on your show and I do a lot of these kinds of things where I criticize Justin Trudeau. I criticize the government for particularly dropping the ball on anything that's a hot button issue. They really deserve a lot of credit today. And it's important that when a government does something right, particularly like this, legalization is right, but more to your question, about pardons. This is not a tempest in a teapot. This is an issue, Libby, that for many people listening may not be as big of a deal as it may be to a lot of people not listening, where they would get pinched, they'd end up having to hire me, they could end up with a criminal record in certain circumstances, it would really keep them from getting a job, or even getting a job interview, Libby. Forget actually even getting the job. A lot of people listening know how hard it is to actually get through to get a job, so this is a very, very positive step today, including, by the way, and I'll get a little wonky here, in the details of how they're going about organizing the system to get a pardon. They're making it much easier than you would ever imagine a government making it easy for a citizen to do anything. Uh, I want to give the numbers out again. I'd really like to hear from people uh, who this affects. If you have a conviction, I'd like to hear about how that's messed up your life and what your reaction is to the fact that it will be easier to get a pardon. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we will get to the other calls momentarily. Just to give some background... We don't have the details of the legislation, but the public safety minister just uh, a very little while ago said that there will be no fee and no waiting period. And right now, under the current laws, uh, any Canadian applying for a pardon has to pay $631 and waiting times of between three and 10 years after the completion of their sentence. So, Ari, um, this seems to hinge on completing a sentence. What about people uh, who have not completed a sentence? No, and so this is, this is key. What, what you were just reading, Libby, is the way it's always been. And there's another little proviso to add into the way it's always been. If you're the average Joe who got pinched for this and got a criminal record, to get a pardon, you probably didn't even know that you didn't need a lawyer or you didn't need to go on Google the way so many people do, and you'll find these pardon companies. You could do it right now. Go on Google. You could put Pardon Canada, and you will see three or four of the top banner ads and entries come up as companies that do pardons. So you would not only have to pay the fee, but many times you'd be having to go through these companies that you don't need to go through for something like this. This is now being eliminated this morning. All you have to do is fill out literally a page or two of information, no fee, no time waiting. They're going to get this done lickety-split. And again, Libby, in a day and age, particularly of anti-social media and Twitter and all that nonsense, where everybody's always upset about the sun rising in the east, a lot of credit is due the government today for doing this this morning, answering the questions last week very quietly, Libby. They had a diplomatic uh, resolution with the U.S. government 
so that people traveling to the U.S. on legitimate business for this now legal entry wouldn't be blacklisted and sent into secondary. There's a lot of very smart things here. I want to get into it, and I'm not so sure about it. But uh, first, Ari, hold on. Let's take a call from Skip in Toronto. Hi, Skip. Yes, I'm here. Uh, Um, Go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, what I want to talk about... um, I want to talk about the people that are going to be smoking the, uh, this marijuana or whatever you call it. The thing about it, from Parliament in Wesley, one block up, there's a gas station, SO gas station, and over the road, there's a pizza shop. So these guys come from their school, they go to the pizza shop, they order the pizza, get the dad across the road, and then they get the stuff from the gas station, then the dad back across the road. I talked to a lot of councillors about putting up an overhead crossing sign between the gas station and the pizza shop. And they said, we can look into it, we can look into it, but nobody does anything about it. And I know with people smoking and driving, you don't know what could happen. And I don't want to see none of these little kids from school get injured. Okay, thanks so for that. I'm asking is if you can speak to the mayor or somebody to get this done because it's important for these little kids. Okay, Skip, thanks for that. Um, Not sure how relevant uh, that call was. Ari, uh, we're talking about crossing the border. At the end of the day, it is up to uh, the individual border guard. And we okay. have all heard about, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I have a, a, you know, a, somebody very close to me that this affects, that uh, investing in pot can get you barred from right. the United States for life. No, so that's what I'm talking about. So the change that was made last week, it received very little news, is that there's been a di- diplomatic resolution. I'm very quietly, maybe it didn't get a lot of Oh, we, we covered it, but my understanding of the change is that people who work in legal cannabis business here will be allowed into the States as long as they're going on holiday and not going on cannabis business, which no, still no, means right. that somebody I, who I, may... I, right, Brian Mulrooney, I, who's sitting on a board, right, yeah, of, yeah. of a cannabis company, he can be stopped at the border if he's going to a board meeting. Right, and that is going to change. However, what was critical, and to me, the important part here, is that somebody traveling to Florida with their family or going to Disneyland or Disney World would not be blacklisted by virtue of what they're doing if they're traveling that way. And remember... I don't really see this as a gigantic issue, even though these are legal and publicly traded businesses. I think there's an argument on both sides that just because Canada has made a certain decision doesn't mean that the U.S. federal government... Remember, there's a different issue at the state level, Olivia, as you well know. Well, they're legal businesses at at the state level, yeah. That's my point. But at the federal level, and let's be clear for your listeners, at the federal level, this is not a legal business. The United States is not a third-world, back-world country. If the U.S.'s position at the federal border level is that we're not letting these people in, well, you know what? They'll have to do a little bit more Skyping and FaceTiming in the meantime. Do I think one or two years from now, Libby, they'll be allowed in? Yes. But the real, to me, negative part of this story was that somebody who happens to do this for a living would be traveling to the States or to a funeral or to a wedding and they end up needing to pay a lawyer two or $3,000 for a secondary waiver, 
That was my concern, the business aspect of that, Libby. Let's just give it a year or two. That will sort itself out. Okay, and uh, I want to take a call from Dave in Toronto because, Dave, I think uh, you have a very valid concern here. Please go ahead. Yes, I do. I just wanted to say something because with my experience and a couple of my friends' experience. Now, I've had a pardon for simple possession, and I've gone across the board many, many times with never an issue, but I've had friends that have had issues with the pardon. And the thing is that I'm pretty sure this is the way it is. Um, if you've ever been turned away from, at the border before, prior to your pardon or what have you, it's now on the register for the Americans. And if you have a pardon, they still turn you away because of that record, because it's on their file. Ari? That's a very fair point. So if you've been, let's use the simpler to understand term, if you've been blacklisted, if you went 10, 15 years ago and you were turned away, you're not disappearing from any U.S. Border Services computer. The same way when people have charges dropped, even in Toronto, they think it's all wiped away from the police computers like it didn't happen. No, no, your record is never going to go away. However, if you are pardoned this way, and again, we'll know in the next six months to two years whether this is true. I would be extremely surprised that even if you've been turned away and now you've got the pardon as a result of this, you will continue to be turned away. You may have to go into secondary. You may have to take a couple extra steps. But that being said, the government, cannot, the government of Canada cannot force the U.S. government to do anything. Let's be clear. These are two sovereign countries. That being said, this is a very, very positive step, and there's not much more that the Trudeau government can do today. If what your caller says continues to be a problem and it's proven, you can rest assured, just like there was last week, there will be a diplomatic result to this, I believe. Um, And... uh Ari, I'm curious, why is it that someone like Dave never had a problem, but his friend with the same conviction and pardon uh, might have had a problem? Is it just up to uh, whatever uh, border agent is there? It really is, and I'll tell you, as anybody here, leaving aside pot, I mean, you can leave pot aside. If anybody's come through the airport, Pearson, uh, Billy Bishop, you know, a lot of it has to do with you telling the truth. I know many people who go to New York or go to Paris and do some shopping and buy some suits, they come back, their bag is stuffed. Person A will say, I'm over my HST limit, I'm over my 800 bucks for the week limit. And the border guard says, oh, here's an honest person, go through, I don't care. Then there's another person who will go through, and their bag is stuffed, and it says they didn't buy a single thing while they were away. They're going to be triggered. They're going to go into a sort of red pen situation, and that's going to happen. So while Dave may have gotten through for a whole series of reasons, Maybe the border control person liked the cut of his jib. Somebody else may have a different problem. And I would guess that if Dave was honest about the situation, if he was asked any questions, he probably went through without issue. Somebody else who wasn't, which is why this was a big issue, about being honest at the border where you were sort of incentivized to lie about these things. Hopefully that's not the case. Just a sec. Dave? Yes. Were you ever asked about it? You know, I, I never was asked. I was never asked at the border um, if I had a record or anything. I I got the pardon and just went freely without any issues. But like I and said, that's my, how it's supposed to be, Libby. Just so you know, that's how it is supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Now, my my point was, like you said, if I had, somebody had a rec- record from before and you didn't get into the border for whatever reasons you lied or you didn't tell the truth and they can stop you with a pardon no matter what. Absolutely they can. They can do whatever they want is the bottom line. As Ari points out, it's it's not Canada. They're a sovereign country. Right. 
Anyway, yes. Dave, I'm glad that you have no problems. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, Ari, we are starting to run out of time on this. What, what do you want to leave our listeners with? I know you think this is a great thing, and uh, we know that hundreds of thousands of people will be pardoned, and that is good news. Well, unlike your crossing guard caller, I will take this on a bit of a tangent that's a little bit related. One of the things that bothers me in the discussion today, the massive headlines, all the talk about driving while impaired as if everybody today is going to start driving like Snoop Dogg, to me, it still detracts and is a huge distraction from the problem of drinking and driving. So while there's all these headlines about the machine to test cannabis and THC and the lawyers and the limits and all of this is nice and good and it's good talking points, we live in a country where the actual issue of impaired drinking while driving is a huge, huge scourge, and I would hate for anything to take the lens off that because that is truly what's causing carnage on our roads. And I would hate for the message of mothers against driving, drunk driving and others to be lost in, let's call it the purple haze or the green haze of the marijuana conversation today. But since you brought it up, I'm going to ask you a final question before we sure. have to go. And that is, uh, given that there are all these different, uh, you know, there, in Ontario, there's the Drager method. Mm-hmm. Then some people are doing it according to judgment. Uh, is it going to be very easy to challenge any of these convictions for impaired driving under the influence of marijuana? Yes, it will be no different than challenging a lot of impaired driving by, by drinking that lawyers do. This is how many lawyers make an absolutely tremendous living. You can never stop that. That's how the courts are. But if you're truly interested in risk, Libby, because a lot of your listeners right now are probably driving or going to drive home from work or to see their family later. If you really want to talk about what the risk is on the roads, it's from booze. It is not yet proven in any scientific way to be from uh, cannabis or pot or whatever you want to call it. And the evidence also suggests even where it becomes legalized, it's not as if today by 5 p.m. in rush hour on the Don Valley Parkway, you're going to have a bunch of very high people driving home because it's now legal. Yeah, I don't think there will be. I think, if anything, there might be fewer because they figure now they can get dinged for it. Fair enough. Okay, Ari Goldkind, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.